this episode sponsored by internetpaycheckforlife.com. Gentlemen, start your engines. Uh, you're coming out about Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now, your host, the editor in chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, welcome to our guest segment. Of course, a couple of weeks ago at Easter, we replayed our Barry Schwartz interview about the Shroud of Turin, and we just got a huge response from it, even though the audio quality was not so good because I was working with a, a copy of a copy of the audio from back in the day when I was on uh, the radio network. And a gentleman reached out to me. I don't know if he's a regular listener to the show or not, but he sent me a bunch of information. And I've been going through it the last week or so. His name is Joseph Marino. He has a degree in theology from St. Louis University. And uh, he is a longtime what they call Sindenologist, which is somebody that studies the Shroud of Turin. He also has two books out. If you go to Amazon, he has two books out on the topic of the Shroud of Turin. And uh, Joseph Marino, good to have you with us tonight for the first time, sir. Hi, Jim. <clears throat> Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so how did how did we connect? Did Are you a regular listener to the show? Because I loved all this information you started sending. Well, um, I kind of hunt the Internet for, um, you know, new videos and whatnot, articles and whatnot. And I have a a mailing list, email list that I send uh, information to. And um, I I mentioned uh, the video you did with uh, Barry Schwartz and and Dr. Gary Habermas, both of our friends of mine. Oh, great. So um, once I caught your name, I thought, well, maybe he'd be interested in seeing some of this. Yeah, new information. Well, I'm, so, I'm retired now, and I I pretty much do it full time. Great. Well, I'm so glad that you connected with me, and uh, uh, actually, Doctor Habermas is coming on next week too because he reached out to me and asked about being on uh, the show recently because that was from like five years ago. I came up with this idea of replaying that 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 whole uh-huh. uh, that whole you know thing we did one week with him, and then we did one week with Barry Schwartz. Do you know Barry Schwartz, or you just know of him? Oh, yeah. Barry and I are good friends. Okay, good, good. So we're all within the same circle. Now, to me, this whole idea of that we could actually have the burial cloth of Christ, it just it gives me chills. It is I know people are going to think I'm crazy. It is probably the most exciting thing I have ever heard of. I have never been to the Holy Land myself, which I plan to do someday. Mm -hmm. But the idea that that we could actually have the burial cloth of Christ just blows my mind. Uh, for people not familiar with the shroud, tell us a little bit about the history. When did we 
uh, discover when was it discovered um how long has you know who's who's in control of it where is it right now those kind of things okay well <clears throat> historically we know where it's been since about the 1350s when it was um exhibited in france and it ended up in the uh, hands of a french knight named joffrey de charny and there's several different versions of how he came to the cloth but um there's a plausible history that can be uh constructed uh, going back to the first century jerusalem um in fact we we know that there's um pollen on the shroud from jerusalem there's limestone from jerusalem so there's there's good scientific evidence that the shroud at some point was was in fact this in the city where jesus was crucified um there are two cloths um actually it's one cloth known by two different names in the early centuries there was something called the image of edessa and um it it's believed that um it was hidden in some city wall in the city walls to to protect it um from a big flood and it was uh, rediscovered about 525 and after it was rediscovered the art uh, of Jesus's face kind of started mirroring what we see on the shroud face uh and then in, in 944 it was taken uh to Constantinople and it uh, became known as the Mandilion and then it was there uh in Constantinople until till about 1204 when um, it was stolen during the, the Fourth Crusade. And then it sort of disappeared for about 150 years, but it was probably uh, in the hands of, of a group called the Knights Templar. Hmm. And then um, Geoffrey de Charny was uh, a, a knight in the mid-1300s, and he was a descendant of one of the um, people that had taken part in the, um, the sack of Constantinople in 1204. So then um, it was exhibited around 1350, and um, it stayed in France for a while, and it was taken to uh, Turin in 1578 and has been there ever since. Which is, uh, for for people that don't know, that's northern Italy, right? We're talking about northern Italy, and is that under the control of the Catholic Church? Um, Yes, it's uh, Turin is about 350 miles northwest of um, Rome near the French border. And up until 1983, it was owned by um, the House of Savoy. And in his will, he left it to the um, living pope. And that was the, the will was finalized in 1985. So the Catholic Church has owned it since 1985. Now, do I'm trying to remember this, but I, I think when I was a child growing up in Chicago, that there was a time where you could go and I think it was to the Field Museum, uh, the History Museum in downtown, that they actually brought the shroud because I remember people talking about this. Has the shroud been presented around the world in these types of exhibitions? Um, no, those are always um, replicas uh, that you see in the various cities. Uh, uh, the, the shroud itself has never been outside of Turin, except for, um, like I say, a few years in World War II when it was taken out to okay. uh, 
protected from Hitler because Hitler was looking for it. So they they moved it to a Benedictine monastery in Montevideo. What, what would Hitler uh, have? What, what would Hitler have wanted with with the shroud? Well, he was very much into the occult. He was uh, he wanted um, the 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 supposed lance that had pierced Jesus because he they believe that those sorts of objects would give you know. Uh, unlimited power to the to people that possess them. And um, they sent some soldiers in uh, searching in, in the monastery where it was. And it was literally just a few feet away. And um, the head, you know, the head officer uh, told his soldiers not to disturb the, the monks that were praying. They were really close, but they didn't get to it. Wow. Now, if if you if uh, you know, I've been to Italy many times, I've been in, in Turin, I've never actually gone there to look for the shroud. But is there a place that like I could physically go to where the shroud is and I could see it like through a glass case or something? Or is it just totally locked away from public view? Um, it's basically locked away. You could go in the church where it's housed um, it's in a container, but you really, you know, you, you really can't see it. It's all kind of, um, contained within, it's got gas, you know, argon gas and, you know, it's not actually visible, but there is a museum just, uh, several blocks from there that has good, you know, photos and, and, uh, memorabilia and different things related to the shroud. So that's your best bet. If you go to Turin, I can get uh, a, uh, exhibition I went will... to Italy and all I got was the shroud of Turin t-shirt from that shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you'll, you probably don't like my sense of humor about such a serious topic, but uh, yeah. it, it keeps, it keeps yeah. me going in any case. Uh, yeah. So I know what, a lot of what your focus is, and we're going to get into that now is sort of being a defender of the claims that the shroud is not, legitimate now i know that over the years there have been a lot of different ways that people have tried to authenticate as well as to debunk the shroud uh as it stands right now today and then we'll work our way backwards is there any kind of a consensus within uh the archaeological science community about the authenticity one way or the other of the shroud Um, my answer is, is it, it's somewhat nuanced. It's okay. So the people that have been studying the shroud for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and there are quite a few of those in that group, um, pretty much all believe it's authentic. The, the people that have not studied it very much and are mainline and are quite frankly, partly afraid of their reputation. If they say, if they come out and say the shroud's authentic, they tend to say it's not authentic. But the people that have devoted the most amount of time to it and have looked at every aspect, and I, and I, I have certainly looked at every aspect of this over 44 years and have read every major thing out there, um, the evidence is very, very strong. And in fact, um, people should know that the shroud is literally the most intensely studied artifact in human history in terms of the amount of hours put into it not just religious relic but any artifact wow it's the most studied artifact ever and i maintain that if it was a fake um 
it would have been definitively discovered by now. The, the STIRP team, which is the Shroud of Turin Research Project that studied it in 1978, those guys were in the U.S. space and nuclear programs. They were not dummies. They didn't go over there thinking that they were going to be befuddled by it, but they absolutely were. And they spent years collating the data, and um, they concluded the image was not the product of an artist. Now, it, it, let, let me uh, go to this question, because one of the things I love talking about with uh, Dr. Habermas was the whole issue of the historicity of Christ, because there's now uh, sort of this growing movement of people that claim that Christ was not a real person and didn't really live, even though there's such a large body of evidence proving that Christ actually yeah. was a real person that did live. Now, whether or not you then believe that he was the son of God, that he was crucified and resurrected, that's a separate question. But but to start with the fact that he actually was a real person, is it possible uh, for someone, uh, Joseph, to accept that, OK, this is a shroud. This is uh, someone that was buried and wrapped in this. But maybe I'm not so convinced, even if it was Jesus, that that means anything. That is OK. A guy named Jesus claimed to be the son of God. Uh, he died, was wrapped in this cloth that we now have recovered. Uh, I can be OK with authenticating this as that cloth without also taking everything else that might go along with it in terms of, you know, believing in Christianity. Is that possible or is this cloth uh, such a, a, a loaded, um, it's got so much about it that once you go down that road, you're just, you're in hook, line and sinker to the whole Jesus story, including death and resurrection. Help me understand that. Yeah. Well, let's go to our friend Barry, who's who's Jewish, and uh, he believes the shroud's authentic, but he doesn't go that final step that a lot of us do and say, um, okay, the, it looks like the image was caused by what we know as the resurrection. He has stopped short of that. And, and so you get people with differing views, and that's, you know, that's human nature. We all see things from different perspectives and whatnot. Um, but Barry, you know, publicly proclaims he's not a Messianic Jew. He's not a Christian. He's, he's just, he's Jewish. And he believes that the shroud's authentic based on the scientific evidence, but doesn't believe uh, in the divinity of Jesus. Um, and so, I, yeah, Barry's a good example of somebody who, who didn't go, um, you know, every, every step of the way. The reason I ask that is because... I would just speculate that the reason why maybe the larger scientific uh, community doesn't sign on to this is maybe at least perception wise, they think that that would then send them down this tunnel that they are an evangelical Christian by the mere fact mm -hmm. that they endorse this. So they have a, a bias against confirming the authenticity of it. Yes. Is that, is I agree that fair? With that. Let, let me tell Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you a little story of something I learned recently. Um, so the shroud uh, report that was done by the C-14 labs came out in Nature magazine from our Nature Journal, I should say, in England in 
February 1989. And um, in my C-14 book, I, I note several peculiar things that happened um, with the scientist um, submitting their report. And, and one of them was kind of shocked to, to learn that the, their paper was accepted before one line was even written, which is just very weird. Um, and they, once they started writing the report, they were sending to Nature drafts of it, which is very odd. You don't do that in peer-reviewed literature. Um, just within the last month or so, I heard a podcast by a uh, English scientist who wrote an article in Nature in 1983, five years before the uh, carbon dating. And the, the uh, article title was Dating the Crucifixion. Now, there was n no theology whatsoever in this article. It was simply trying to determine the exact date of the historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth. He told a story on the podcast that the editor, chief editor of Nature, a guy by the name of John Maddox, was so anti-Christian that he tried to keep the article from being published, even though there was no theology in it whatsoever. But it got rave reviews from the people that reviewed it in the, the uh, a lower tier editor convinced him to uh, to run the article. But that gives you an idea of the the fear of Jesus possibly being right. What yeah. that does to people. And I'll tell you, there's there's even a fear of people uh, accepting that Christ actually was a real person that lived. That is a big deal. And I refer people to the uh, the book by uh, Bart uh, Ehrman about uh, did Jesus exist? Uh, I mean, it's it's as uh, Dr. Habermas has said, there is really no debate among legitimate scholars that Jesus actually was right. a real person. Now, the reason why I find that so significant is because once you start down that road, and this is where I'm getting to with the shroud, once you start down that road that Jesus was a real person, now there's a lot of questions that have to be answered for those that dismiss the story of Jesus, because where is his body? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's all these questions that come up once you start down that road. And now when you look at this, the shroud, and I want you to take a couple of minutes and tell us some of the most remarkable things about the shroud that can't be explained by by just normal science, the, 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 the you know, various characteristics of it that make this such an unusual uh, piece of fabric that that you can't wrap your brain around how these things happened to this cloth. Yeah, it's got uh, a lot of interesting uh, characteristics, and, and probably the main one that people first became aware of was the photonegativity aspect. Um, so when you look at the shroud with the naked eye, you could tell it's the, it's the front and back images of a man, and you can see what appears to be bloodstains, but it, it's not crystal clear to the eye. So in 1898, um, on the occasion of a, 
uh, wedding of, of a member of the House of Savoy, they, they brought out the shroud for an exhibition, and they allowed photographs to be taken. Now, photography was only invented in about the 1860s, so it was only about 30 years old at the time. And they hired a um, amateur photographer named Secundo Pia to take some pictures. And, of course, in, in those days, it wasn't digital. It was the old style where you <clears throat> uh, took a picture of glass plates and you, you know, had to develop it. And he was shocked when he developed um, his negative because on his negative, the image appeared lifelike, which means it, it looked positive. So the image on the shroud is like is 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 kind of like a photo negative right on the cloth because when you take a negative of it you get a positive wow. so that's what really jump started the scientific investigation of the shroud and that's what got people really interested in it joseph we're starting to lose um, your audio just a little bit i don't know if you can get a little closer to the mic or if anything has changed but i want to make sure people okay. understand what you just said so so in the very beginning days of photography not knowing what they would find uh they they took a picture several pictures of this and it turned out that the negative became a positive and the negatives they were using actually showed like what the face would look like of the person that was wrapped in that shroud and it it would have been so remarkable because it would almost been like the ultimate magic trick i mean who would have thought that that would have been the outcome of a of a picture of it that the negative would become a positive it, just remarkable and you're saying that that is what started sort of this this incredible fascination with what uh what this uh this fabric was now we come into more recent times uh, that's the early days of photography, but there are also some other things that we're able to learn about it with more recent technology that make it remarkable. And, and what are some of those things? Uh, okay. Then, then the next big thing would have been around 1976 when some air force, uh, researchers, uh, put a picture of the shroud in something called the VP eight image analyzer. Uh, which was, you know, high tech at that time, but it's pretty much outdated. Um, you know, they've got bigger and better versions of that, uh, on your computer nowadays. Um, and, and they were as, as shocked as the, uh, photographer in 1898 because when they put the picture in the, the analyzer, which is meant to, um, look at like three dimensional photographs of the planets and whatnot. The picture came out three-dimensional, which just shocked them because, you know, it's a 2D photo. Right. And they didn't expect to find three-dimensional or spatial encoding is really the more accurate term, but people just kind of say 3D. So that was the thing that really jump-started the start of the scientific team that went to Turin in 1978, which was about 40, mostly American scientists. Uh, they put together a team. And um, once they got to Turin and, and had had the cloth five days around the clock, one of the most amazing things to them was to discover that the image uh, was only on the top several thousands of an inch of the fibers. So like 
one thread is made up of like 200 or so um, microfibers. And the image is only on the top one or two microfibers. Now, there's there's no technology today that can can do that. Um, so you got the neg- photonegativity, the three dimensionality or spatial encoding, and you got the superficiality. Those are kind of the three big uh, uh, features that right off the bat says this thing is not normal. Is there any uh, idea or theory? Obviously, we're talking about. If we believe this was Jesus's burial cloth, we know the biblical account is that he was resurrected. And uh, you could just imagine what happened in that moment was a supernatural thing. But does anyone have a speculation as to what caused the image to to appear in the fabric? Is, is it speculated that it was some kind of a bright light? I know you're saying we can't. Uh, simulate that today, but 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 if we could, like, what's the closest thing we could say caused the image to? Is it burned in there with with just a like a laser type of light? What would it be? Yeah, actually, I've got a very good answer for you. There's some Italian scientists uh, that um, worked for about five years using something called an um, ultraviolet eczema laser and they got a piece of control cloth and they zapped the cloth forget this one forty billionth of a second and they were able to approximate the depth penetration and coloration uh, of the shroud now the caveat for that is that to do a whole image front and back image like that there's not enough energy on planet Earth to do that now. So it seems to be a short uh, burst of radiation of some kind. Some people like the light theory, um, but that those experiments by the Italian scientists do point, I think, toward a supernatural um, mechanism. And and the the body of of Jesus, assuming this was his burial cloth, um, this would be would this be like strips of cloth that are wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped, kind of like what you see with a mummy, no. or is this like a big sheet no. that he's wrapped up in? No, the, even the even the Egyptians um, had stopped wrapping uh, like uh, the mummy style by the first century. So in, in, the Jews wrapped, there were several different types of cloths that the Jews uh, at that period wrapped um, the dead in. And it would include, normally include a long linen cloth, a shroud, um, and it would also include probably like a face cloth, a separate face cloth, which John mentions in his gospel. And then they would also use some strips to like bind the... the um, the hands and the feet. So that's one of the uh, interpretations of the word strips in some of the, the Gospels. But they, he certainly was not wrapped as a mummy. And that face cloth, um, we, there's a cloth in Oviedo, Spain, that's, that's been there since uh, 619 AD, called the Sidarium of Oviedo. And that's believed by many uh, Shroud researchers to be the face cloth mentioned in uh, John 20. 
six to seven. Now, you know, obviously people have a lot of different opinions on this and who is in that burial cloth. But describe to us what we know about who was in that burial cloth. What was what were the physical characteristics? Do we know? Do we know approximate height? Do we know what the injuries were? How much detail do we have of the injuries that uh, that that uh, Jesus or whoever was in that that uh, cloth had uh, endured? Uh, obviously, it, it appeared to be clear that it was a cruc- crucifixion. Uh, but there were some unique things about this that would not be just a part of a normal crucifixion. Isn't that right? Sure. That's correct. Um there's there's some variations in the the height and the weight um, estimations, but uh, generally he was probably about five ten and 175 pounds. Um, people that study racial characteristics say he was a Semitic Jew. Um, it shows uh, a crown of thorns, really a cap of thorns. We're, we're in, in art, you usually see kind of a circlet, but that's not how it was. It, it was kind of like a bush kind of smashed down all all over his the top of his head. And I want to stop you on the um, crown of wounded, I want to stop you, know, you on the crown of thorns because that right there that is not a normal part of a crucifixion isn't that right? Right. That would be unique to That's Jesus correct. to yeah. the to the gospel account of the crown of thorns. Continue on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then there is a piercing in the side. Um normally crucifixion victims had their legs broken. Uh, the man in the shroud does not have his legs broken. He has a piercing in the side, which uh, matches to the gospel. And uh, the man in the shroud has severe scourging, which ra- uh, matches to a Roman flagrum. And what's odd about that is that uh, crucifixion victims were normally only lightly scourged because scourging was such a, a, a bad um treatment that people could die from scourging. And if you were a Roman soldier and you were supposed to crucify somebody and you scourge somebody and they died in the scourging, guess what? You get the death penalty. Wow. So, um, but, but if you read the Gospels, we remember that Jesus had Pilate scourged severely, hoping that that would be enough to satisfy their bloodlust and they let him go. But Pilate was fooled because they still wanted him to die. So we have a severely scourged man and crucified. So you got the crowning of thorns, which is unique. You got the piercing in the side, which is instead of the breaking of the legs. And you got the severe scourging. So everything matches exactly to the to the Gospels. Wow, that's just this is just giving me chills. I This is just incredible. Um now, I want to open up the phone lines in our last few minutes here. If you're watching right now and you have a question about the Shroud of Turner, maybe you have a disagreement or you want to, you know, throw something out that uh, would maybe contradict some of what we've said tonight. Uh, here you go. Uh, 646-716-4041 worldwide. Uh, that's a U.S. number. So whatever you've got to do to get to the U.S. first, 646 716 Four zero four one, and uh, we'll also take some questions by email, Jim at ChristianMoney.com. 
Jim at ChristianMoney.com. Email questions or call right now, 646-716-4041. Joseph, let's be fair now and let's talk about, uh, as the calls are coming in, what what would you say is the top one or two best crit- critiques or or weaknesses in the argument that this is the shroud of uh, of Jesus? Uh, what 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 uh, are the uh, naysayers saying uh, these days? Um, I'd I'd say the big two the two biggest ones are that there's no strong history before 1350. Um, and I would just counter that immediately by saying, you know, you got uh, objects in museums all over the world where they didn't know where it was every single second. Right. Um, it, it, it should be pointed out that the, the 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 apostles, when they saved the cloth, would not have been parading it around because it was an impure object, and the Romans would have destroyed it. So it's not surprising, I think, that the the cloth was hidden for many years, and then it would only be in the hands of a select few for for centuries and centuries. So that could explain um, kind of the lack of a, of a good history. Uh, the second one is the uh, 1988 C14 dating results, which put the cloth at 1260 to 1390. And um, when that came out, I had been studying the shroud for 11 years at that point, and um, I, I knew too much at that point already to say there's something wrong with that C14 test. So I've been, you know, intently studying it um, since that date came out. And in last November, I came out with an 800-page book exposing a lot of the politics, egos, and agendas that went on. And they there was not a search for the truth. It was it was just um as i say uh the, the c14 labs were interested in pushing their new method of of c14 which was called ams and was only about 11 years old at the time and was untested on um textiles and after the results came out um the c14 industry came, became a multi-billion dollar industry um, in addition to my 800-page book, I've also got a page on my website for additions and corrections, and I've already added about 75 new entries because I knew I was going to keep finding more information. Um, and what is it one so of the issues too plenty. that there that there were some repairs made to the shroud, and that this the carbon dating may have picked up an earlier date simply because of those more recent pieces of fabric that were later added. Yes, my late wife wife and I uh, did a lot of research on that, and um, a lot of the information on that is is. Um, uh, listed or uh, mentioned in my first book, wrapped up in the shroud, uh, and there's also information on that in in my second book as well. But there's good indication because they uh, they found a splice thread of cotton and, and linen. The, sh- the shroud's only linen, but the area from where they took the C14 sample has um, cotton in it, which me and they found dye and um, gum. Uh, you know, which are indications of, of an actual repair. So um, there's there's a good indication that um, they had a bad sample, which 
uh, partially, you know, explains um, why they came up with that 1260 to 1390 date. Very good. And your books are on Amazon. People can type in your name, Joseph Marino. They can find the books there. Let's go to Chicago. Our first caller, uh, say hello to Joseph Marino. And what is your question tonight about the Shroud of Turin? Hi, Joseph. Um, so here's my question. Uh, years ago, I saw, I, it's been so long, I can't remember. I think it was on either History Channel or Discovery Channel. Um, they did a, a show about the Shroud of Turin. Uh, the the conclusion that this um, person put on the this program was that because of how the how you know Jesus's face would be wrapped in the shroud, that actually when you would see the image, it would be you know because um, how the, how it would be wrapped, his eyes would be like stretched out to the side, that it wouldn't sure. look like a right. a perfect face. And then they said, well, then what must have happened is they said they, someone must have put together, I think they said like clay plates, flat clay plates, and they impressed the shroud on those and made the image. And that's how you have like this perfect face, not this face where it's, you know, kind of looks abnormal because it would have wrapped around, you know, the roundness of the, of the, of the skull on the face. Right. Uh, they, they have done, they have tried all sorts of, artistic methods and none of them work if you get the physics right the chemistry's wrong and vice versa um the best explanation and which fits with the radiation is that um the radiation came out like every pore of the of the body in a vertically collimated way um and that explains why there's no distortion um, in the image. There's just tons of uh, articles about that. And uh, I, I always try to uh, warn people about getting too much of their information about the Shroud from TV programs, because you got to remember sure. that's uh, entertainment. Uh, your best sure. bet is to um, go to Shroud, to uh, peer-reviewed articles on and the best site to find that is shroud.com. That's Barry Schwartz's site. You can spend the, the rest of your life there. Uh, they have all sorts of uh, articles pertaining to the image formation, and um, you can get a lot of great information there. Very good. Uh, thank okay, you so much for you. that call. And uh, one one or two more callers here if you want to jump on board quickly. 646-716-4041. Uh, let's get to some email questions. Uh, somebody wants to know, is there DNA? Uh, you know, with all the things we can do with DNA, I mean, c could it could we possibly have the DNA of Jesus Christ on that cloth where we could actually do a DNA test? Uh, they have done some research in that area but the problem is the dna is is too degraded and um we don't have a you know a dna dna profile of jesus in the first place so a lot of a lot of people have touched the cloth and leaned over it so a lot of people's dna is on is on the cloth and it would be hard to separate it out in the first place but it's it's basically it's it's all if it was jesus dna it would it would just be too too degraded and there's there's no chance of um you know making a clone of Jesus from that
Okay, now the the yeah, that's a that's that's an interesting like the clone of Jesus. I've heard that I've heard that idea as well. Um, th- this this is another good question. Uh, do do you find any Christians that dismiss the Shroud of Turin? And, and I, I was listening to some teaching tapes by uh, Chuck Missler. I don't know if you know uh, Chuck Missler. Mm-hmm. He's he's deceased now, but I'm uh, aware of him. Yeah, yeah. So I was listening to some teaching tapes of, from Chuck Missler, and he made a sort of an offhanded comment about about the shroud, and 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 the implication was uh, at the time when he was doing this this teaching, which was probably 20 years ago, that uh, look it, Christians could like put a lot of faith in the shroud being legitimate and then it could be debunked later and many could like lose their, their way following Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find that implausible, but, but at the same time, I, I, I understand that, that idea. Do you find any Christians that are taking that position? Like, look, let's not put too much stock in this because if this turns out to be like Y2K, all of a sudden millions could you know leave the faith because they thought the shroud was real and then it wasn't, and now they've lost their faith. Sure. I, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think the, the shroud by itself is, is um, the only reason somebody becomes a Christian. It, you know, it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. I think it's one more piece of evidence. And um, I think there's enough uh, strong evidence to support it. And, you know, I, I, th- I think it has to stay in context. Nobody worships the cloth. Nobody prays to the cloth. But yes, there are a lot of Christians that um, because of their own personal denomination or whatever, whatever theological leanings they have or whatever are very wary of the of the shroud and um, i can kind of understand that but you know i'm with you i i was so excited when you said you just you get chills and you, you don't think it's the most it's the greatest thing on earth because that's i that's always been my position i read a fiction novel a couple of years ago where the guy a character in the novel says i don't understand why everybody in the world isn't obsessed by the Shroud of Turin, because that's me, you know. <laughs> well, and, and I, um, you know, I have been known to cry on this show before. It hasn't happened often, but this is one of those topics where, wow. I mean, I if if this is really what it is, I mean, it gets right to my soul. I mean, the idea that we could have yeah. this. I mean, it is. I mean, it, and maybe others don't. It doesn't hit them that way. What what has this done, Joseph, for your yeah. faith? Has this has this um embolden your faith as this you know and I, let me tell you why i'm asking you that because it, it it is clearly no matter how uh much you believe in christ no matter what you've seen in your life miracles and answers to prayer uh, i think for for most people cr- there's this line between like we can't have anything it's just all on faith there, there's sort of that that mm, that, mm. But, but then when you actually start looking into this and you find out that in history there was a real person by the name of Jesus and something happened mm-hmm. to him and when you see this, could this possibly be something physically that that even that just Jesus touched, but no less that that this could be the cloth he was wrapped in before the resurrection. Yeah. It just blows my mind. What, what has this done it, for your faith? Well, I mean, I, like I said, I, I work pretty much full time on it. I, I got pictures all over my house. Um, there's not a day 
that I don't think about it or work on it or working on an article or, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, people have pictures of their family uh, on their desk. They don't think it's the real person. It's just a reminder. Right. And I just have to believe that God left this for us in an age when, you know, images are so strong nowadays. They speak speak to us now more than words. And, and I, was, I was struck when you mentioned uh, the fact that there's so many people out there now saying that Jesus never existed. You heard that a little bit here and there, but there's just been a torrent of those sorts of things. Uh, of that of that view recently, and I think the shroud's an excellent antidote. If you can't disprove it, and and I should s- say just explicitly, we will never prove a hundred percent that it wrapped Jesus. So it it on that point, it, it basically does still say stay in the realm of faith. Um, but it's a it's a good antidote for. Uh, you know, we're expected to believe in an uh, unseen God, but here is a an artifact that, like you say, may have wrapped the historical Jesus in the tomb at the point of what we call the resurrection, and that it, it is. It's just mind-blowing, and it, it's a constant in my life, and um, it, it grounds my faith in in something historical, because, you know, Christianity is a historical religion, and I don't see why people would get upset that we might have a physical trace of the historical Jesus. He was a human being, and things get left behind and saved, and and I, I can't believe that the shroud, the, the apostles would have let, would have let the shroud get destroyed. Um, I think divine providence has um, helped to keep it down to our age because there's been it's been in several fires and you know in 2000 years you would expect it to be lost or ripped up or destroyed or whatever yeah it's a it's a miracle that it's a miracle that we still have it and and honestly it 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 sounds it it has the i call it the ring of truth i don't know if it's real or not Uh, as you said we'll never know 100 percent but it's it, it it would not shock me that it was real and that that God left this behind that this was Jesus that this was part of the plan to like you know you know these people they say show me something give me just give me a, a, a just a shred of evidence here it is I mean if you're looking for something mm-hmm. physical and I always tell people uh, before you you know uh, John Ankerberg used to say when people would tell him they that uh, they were an atheist he would say wow you must be really smart uh, that you're an atheist that you know everything because you'd have to know everything mm. about the entire universe. And the history of everything to be able to determine that there's right. no God. Now, now you, you kind of start with that and you realize how ridiculous that is to be an atheist. So that yeah. you move those people from atheism to agnosticism where they say, well, OK, maybe there is a God, but I, I don't know who it is. I'll never know who it is. So maybe there's somebody up there, but I'm not really going to. Th- then you take those people from that and you say, well, let's look at this possibility of Jesus and let's outside of the Bible. Let's start looking at the historical Jesus outside of the Bible and you get them to that. And then you start asking them questions about, well, what happened to his body? 
he claimed he would die and be resurrected. If he didn't, he would have, you know, the disciples would have gone back to their fishing and all the things they were doing that they would have never continued on and most likely died as, as martyrs and, and Stephen and Paul and all of these stories, this would have, there's, once you start piecing this together, you, you get to a point where you can no longer dismiss it. And it's not just Christian zealots. It's, history and who this man was yes. and this cloth could mm-hmm. certainly be an incredible link that kind of puts this chain together for people which is why i'm so excited uh, to keep talking about it absolutely you get it jim you get it <laughs> yeah it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing and, and like you said it's uh it, it very well could be that thing that is another Another, you know, our merciful God has given us just another piece of evidence for us to to consider to decide what we're going to do with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, uh, Joseph uh, Marino, for being here tonight. Tell us all about how people can uh, connect with you on on social media or your websites and your books and all of that, because I know people are going to want to find out more. Uh, well, I have a Facebook page for my second book uh, called The 1988 C-14 Dating of the Shroud of Turin, a stunning expose. Just put that in the search box. Um, you can email me at jmarino240 at aol.com. That's jmarino240 at aol.com. And... Um, as I told one of the call the, the caller, a great site uh, to to check generally for uh, the shroud is Barry Schwartz's site shroud dot com. Uh, that's an excellent source, and a lot of my papers can be found there. And um, when you go to Amazon, if you look for the best way to check for both of my books is to put in my name Joseph G Marino because I've got an older version of the first book and that's still floating around. And uh, I'd, I'd want people to get the, the revised and updated version of that second book. So put my full name, uh, Joseph G Marino in the search box and Amazon. And I hope I hear from people and, uh, I hope, uh, they can keep an open mind about the shroud, do some of their own research and, um, uh, come to a better understanding of this this fabulous cloth. Very good, sir. Thank you so much for being with us, and thank you for what you're doing. It's uh, it's really an inspiration. It strengthens my faith, and I'm sure makes a. I'm sure you've reached tens of thousands for Christ uh, by the work that you're doing. And so, keep up the great work, and we hope you come back again and visit soon. Oh, thanks, Jim. I really enjoyed uh, being with you, and. Um, and I'm just so happy to hear your views on it because they're so close to, to my own. God bless, sir. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Uh, wow. Uh, that, I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm, my hands are shaking. I am not kidding you. I, if that is, that is just blows my mind. Can you believe it? I mean, if, if that is the burial cloth of Christ, uh, here I go. I'm, I'm tearing up. Wow. Wow. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody.